please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Welcome, everybody. You're listening to GeorgiaCarry.org radio. Um, typically, we have one topic a week, and we try to, you know, give a, an in-depth analysis of something that's going on, you know, whether it's, you know, shooting-related or news-related or so, and just, you know, some particular topic that we address. But this week, we've got two things we really want to talk about. And the first thing that had come up was um, that over the past couple weeks, there have been a large number of automobile break-ins in Atlanta, and this has led to a lot of concern about firearms being stolen. And and I think that this is a really interesting topic to discuss, and I want to get to it. But also, this week has been the week of the anniversary of the September 11th attacks, and so I think that we would be completely derelict in our duty as broadcasters to not make any mention of that and to just roll on in, in a, a store or, or a broadcast that could be you know played any time, and no one would even know the difference but you know here we are on coming off of a week where people are are remembering what freedom means and what security means and how the two are interplaying against each other and i think that this is something that we as the gun community really need to think about and address maybe in a way that we haven't before looking at what happened and what it means for us you know this year this or this time of year every year i get to thinking about where was i when i got this news and it kind of makes you think about preparedness and for a moment emergency preparedness and how this caught all of us by surprise and our world forever changed because the world that we live in today is not the same as the pre-9-11 world we were a little more innocent in the pre-9-11 world see and i don't buy that i don't buy that at all because i think that the world was the same as it's always been we just we just had a different philosophy I mean, if you look at the way Israel's had to deal with threats for terrorism, they've been trying to wipe Israel off the map for, well, since 1948, really. And they've had all of these security concerns, but do they do it in such a way that... They, you know, have body scanners in the airports and everything else. No. Israel is able to keep kind of a, a, a more even keel on their security, even though that they are in a constant state of alert. I mean, how many times has America been attacked by rockets in the last 10 years? Well, yeah, but, but you know, they don't have the features that we have in our airports, but they've never had planes hijacked like us. Well, there's a reason they've never had planes. Because they actually have security in the airports rather than security theater like we have here. And there's a big difference. Here it's Let's try to to pretend to be secure. But you wouldn't believe the things that still go through airport security. I was talking to a friend of mine that had accidentally carried a pair of nail clippers through the security checkpoint mm-hmm. and had gone through the metal detectors with them. And when she got to her plane, went to the bathroom and stuck her hand in her pocket and realized she had those nail clippers in there. And it freaked her out so bad, she hit them at the bottom of the little trash can they used for feminine napkins mm-hmm. and got out of there because she was afraid that they were going to like arrest her for attempted terrorism at that point. You know, I think she was overreacting a little. Bit. There, there's 
there's a lot of things that go on that we do to make people feel good or, or increase. I mean, it's kind of like the stock market. We've seen the stock market go up and down and tumble and, and you know, massive oscillations. And it comes down to consumer confidence. If you have confidence in the stock market, then the stock market's doing well. And if you don't have confidence in it, then it's not doing well. I mean, look at what China's been up to. They, they refuse to allow people to report on the state of their stock market. Their stock market's lost 20% of its value, which is like a, a, a historic crash. They call this a free market, by the way, but, but you're not allowed to sell your stock yeah. without permission. You're not allowed to buy stock without permission. They tell you which stock to buy or sell, and you're not allowed to report on the stock market doing bad. I mean, there's people right now that are Chinese being style ca- killed, <laughs> killed for treason. Yeah, well, they, they've said that if you sell your stock off, that it's it's economic warfare and you can be charged with treason. Uh, I mean, but it comes down to confidence. If if the people don't know that the stock market is doing bad, then the stock market isn't doing bad. And, you know, when when Roosevelt said the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, that's what he was getting at. I mean, it was a, it was a, a commentary on the stock market situation in the Great Depression that if people had confidence, then there wouldn't be a depression. But that's not the way it works because people see the writing on the wall and things change. And I think that that's kind of where we are is that the September 11th, when it happened, showed us what writing was, what was really going on in the world. And we were no longer able to have this, you know, unjustified sense of euphoria that it could Sunshine and lollipops and... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, what was the reaction? What did people do when they have their, the you know, the, when the curtain is pulled back and there's the wizard standing there in all his glory... They, they turn to the government and ask, say, protect us, protect us, protect us. Or, which I think is even scarier, they turn to the government and say, avenge us. And that was more of what happened was they turned to the government and said, avenge us, avenge us, avenge us. Meanwhile, people were scared on their own soil. For the first time in my lifetime, I was afraid on my own soil. And, you know, I never felt that. I never felt like I was more afraid the day after than the day of. And I, I, I did. I, and I realized that... It was getting ready to start being terrorist attacks on our own soil and a war that our government wouldn't acknowledge. And that's where we are today, is there's a jihad in our country of Muslims attacking our businesses, our our train stations and, and we have such. nothing to compare to Israel or many other countries in this world where they have you know constant threat of terror attack we we really don't have that kind of environment and whether it's because we're you know geographically isolated or because our government is actually doing a good job i i don't fathom a guess but the truth is is that we have very few incidents and the incidents that are are usually very localized and yeah there are people who have different socio-political, ideological, religious bents that decide to attack us. But in the end, I mean, we see so few of these compared to our populace of 300 million people. It is just a blip in the radar. You're much more likely to die from an automobile accident. You know, the number one killer of people uh, in America, automobiles. And yet... Nobody, nobody takes any concern about that. Everyone gets in their car every morning and drives downtown, but people are afraid of a terrorist attack because it, it captures the imagination. It's something that's out of the ordinary. No, it's of the, the car accident is an accident. It's exactly that. And it's something that is semi-preventable. There's things you can take precautions on to keep it from happening to you. But if it does happen to you, it's not necessarily your fault that it happened to you. Whereas, sometimes it's not even anybody's fault, but it happened. 
Whereas when there's liability in place too. When you're attacked by a terrorist, it's not an accident. It's somebody's own malicious hatred towards you that causes it. And I think that that's the difference. It's why people are afraid of guns versus DUIs. Even though there's more people killed in DUIs than somebody maliciously with firearm every year. I I just I don't see things that way. I I see it as that we have an appointed time. We you know whether you call it fate or destiny or or God's plan for your life, it doesn't really matter. In the end, there are things that are completely beyond our control. There are things that are outside of our sphere of influence, and we we strive for this illusion of control that we can we can affect the way our lives turn out, that we can protect ourselves. When in the end, when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. This is very true. When you're going to go, you're going to go. I believe that. I also believe that there are times where people are snatched out too early because another person had bad intentions. Well, I think that other people do have bad intentions and bad things happen. And and you look at it and you say that it could have been different, you know, but for this person's actions. But in the end, this is, I think that everything has a plan and that if there is a plan in place and these things are part of the plan. And so it, it happens for a reason. All things work together for good in the end. So let's not punish our murderers because it was just part of the plan. Well, I think that the punishment is a natural flowing consequence of their actions. And that's part of the plan too and and so i don't i don't stay up nights worrying about a terrorist attack or about a car accident or about a robber you know i have taken what are reasonable measures to protect myself from any of those things and if it happens that's beyond my control then you just accept that certain things in life are beyond your control and you have to give up this illusion of control in every aspect in order to have peace after september 11th i felt like my world had changed and it has in a lot of ways because you weren't screened when you went into local businesses. You know, the the courthouse didn't screen people as oh, far as I can remember. Pre September eleventh, they didn't where I'm from. Some some did and some didn't in Georgia. I remember because I was in law school at the time. I remember going to some of the smaller counties and only being screened if I went into the courtroom where they were having court at the time, but the rest of the building was unscreened. Some of the very small counties where they were having a circuit riding judge only came periodically might have uh, a deputy with a wand but not actually active screening on everybody. But now, yeah, I mean, and this is kind of more of a reaction to what we've been doing than anything else is that we say if you're going to, you know, exclude people with firearms, you've got to do active screening. So all of the, you know, governments that are afraid of their own citizens are popping up active screening everywhere in order to be able to hide behind that. We have to exclude honest law-abiding citizens with firearms. Well, I guess that excludes the excludes the non-law-abiding citizens as well when they screen like that. I don't think so. <laughs> I think that if they're really non-law-abiding, they're going to find a way to do their havoc in in some way. You know, that's the problem is that they're going to always have some sort of method to get into this havoc. Anyway, we're coming up on a commercial break, folks. We'll be back in just a minute. You'll see on GeorgiaCarry.org radio. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. 
Welcome back, everybody. So we've been talking a little bit about the anniversary of September 11th and, you know, how the world changed. And, Jesse, you know, you, you said that what you were thinking about where you were the day it happened. And I, I've told this story many times, and I know where I was. I was sitting in the law library at, at Emory Law School, and someone – I was working on one of the computers there. It was 8 o'clock in the morning, and someone said that a plane had crashed into the World Trade Center. And I said – you know that that has happened before. Back in World War II, a, a bomber had flown into the Empire State Building, and you know it, it's not—it's uh, uncommon, but it's not impossible to think about that somebody had a horrible accident. And then they had reeled out a, a TV and set it up in the common area, and then the second plane crashed. And I think that's the moment everyone realized that it was intentional; and it wasn't simply a horrendous accident. And we were all standing around looking in, in kind of bewilderment and. One of the professors came out of the lecture hall and said, I don't know what all you people are watching, but if my class doesn't get in here in the next 10 seconds, that they're, everyone in here is going to get counted absent for the day. And nobody moved. <laughs> so <clears throat> following that, I, I thought, you know, being downtown Atlanta may not be the best place to be, especially right next to the CDC. So I went out to my car, and they had already shut down the parking deck where my car was parked. And wasn't letting anyone leave because it was part of the CDC building. So I drove down the, the in-ramp of the parking deck and went out the in, swiped my little card to open the gate again, and went out the in and then drove home. And I was going down the on Highway 78, the Stone Mountain Freeway, and there was not a single car on the road anywhere. And just at the point that I went underneath 285, I saw um, a pair of FA-18 fighter jets flying over 285 with full combat loadout. First time I'd ever seen fighters in america with flying you know combat air patrol and that's that's what struck me is that all of this is leading to us being in a very militarized society and i don't think that that's necessary i really don't i i think that we can still have freedom and we can still be the country that we were the day before september 11th and not sacrifice anything but I apparently am in the vast minority viewpoint on this because people are more than, than happy to give up their freedom left, right, and center in the name of security. Yeah, and I don't really understand why people are willing to give up their freedom so fast. I'm one of these that would rather fight somebody till death to give up my freedoms than just allow somebody to come and take it away. But there are a lot of people that say, oh, we don't guns. We don't need guns. Let this country be safer and take away all the guns. Well, you know, it's, it's a, an idiotic argument to say that. I say politicians. We don't need politicians. Take away our politicians and make this country safer. That's what I say. Yeah. Well, there are good politicians. There are people who who fight the good fight and stand up for freedom and work very hard to try to to do right by everybody. And then there are the people who are you know out there finagling their own best interests wherever they can from their political position and and it's sad but that's just human nature and all of this comes down to human nature the reason that you know those buildings were attacked comes down to human nature it comes down to people who just can't get past their hate and and anger at what this country stands for and i think that as long as we stand for freedom as long as we stand for things which are are good and right and pure as long as we are a godly country then we're going to be a target of attack and when we're when we're no longer getting any opposition that means we're no longer leading and we're not going the direction we're supposed to be going well see that, that anger that came into us on september the 11th of 2001 
it left and what it left behind was an emptiness where people didn't know what to do with it and it and then that was replaced with some sort of political correctness that filled everybody where we don't want to make anybody angry because that's what happens when you make somebody angry so the incredible hulk theory of global politics instead of us standing up for what's right and what's good and what's just now we give foreign countries 13 billion dollars so they can make nukes and we we aid our enemies in well, you know, I'm just not cool with it. We're we're coming up on the, the very first time in history that the Palestinian flag is going to be raised at the UN. I mean, we we see a whole a shift in in global politics in a way that I don't think people could have envisioned 30 years ago. If you looked at the time of Reagan and the way that the world has turned out now, I, I don't think that anyone would have pegged that. You know, <laughs> Russia would be the one standing in the gap in a lot of ways. And that America was would be following a path of appeasement, and, and I mean, we, we looked at like the Cuban Missile Crisis. That anniversary is coming up soon, October, thirteen days in October, when the world stood on the brink of nuclear war, and the big argument then, the fear was, you know, Kennedy's, you know, father had argued for appeasement in World War Two, and would would he follow suit or would he stand up and and make a stand for no nuclear proliferation in the free world and and there was a big concern throughout the halls of of the pentagon and congress on does appeasement run in families and here we are you know in 2015 looking at appeasement policies all over the world trying to just make sure that everyone's happy and that we don't you know stir up strife because we don't want to be the subject of another attack which is exactly what happened in world war ii is you know if we just make sure that hitler is happy then we can stop this without having to be attacked there was no way to make Hitler happy. There's no way to make the Al-Qaeda happy or ISIS or ISIL or whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. You can't make those people happy. They're angry. And the reason they're angry is because we live. It's because we breathe. Well, it's not everybody because we see millions and millions of people pouring out of the Mideast now in refugee status. And this is, you know, the other big news topic of the day is we see people flooding into Hungary and people flooding into Greece looking for asylum. People who are honestly seeking, you know, a better life where they don't have to live in fear. And they look for it in Europe because they can't get to the U.S. You know, let, let me put this in perspective. There's there's 1.4 million refugees in Turkey. There's over a million refugees coming into Lebanon from Syria. Do you know how many refugees? refugees the u.s took in from syria this last year i have no idea 36 (laughs) because we're scared of them well you know the there i'm sure that when you start to take in refugees that there are people who may use the system to do evil but again is this do we live in fear or do we do what's right as a nation and these are people who are coming from war-torn countries who have fought and and died a lot of them are, are risking their themselves and their children's lives to get away from this horrible conflict and looking for a better life and what better immigrants could you ask for than somebody who's willing to do whatever it takes to protect their family so I think that's a, that's a common thread that we should you know resonate with people in Georgia Carey is that what do you do to protect your family? During World War II, they took all of the Japanese Americans. Some of them were even natural-born American citizens that looked Japanese, and mm-hmm. they put them in 
like concentration camps yeah and held them there because they felt like they couldn't trust them to not be um, patriotic to their own country yeah korematsu versus u.s famous supreme court case where the supreme court said that it was a wrong thing to do but it shouldn't have been evaluated during the war which basically means is you can do it but then it's wrong right um i was surprised that that didn't happen after 9-11, where we took all of the people looked of Middle Eastern descent and put them in a camp, I was pretty amazed. I, I think that we've grown as a society that we don't blame every individual of an ethnic group or a religious sect for the acts of a few. Unless you're a Democrat, in which case all gun owners are the same ilk, no matter whether they're shooting with their family on a Sunday afternoon or shooting up a church on a Sunday morning, it doesn't matter. But for at least for people who are conservative, who are free thinking and who believe in, in small L liberalism, then it's a matter of you don't base your judgments on, on everybody. You base them on their actions. Well, I, I don't see all of that because there are people in this country that judge gun owners by the acts of one gun owner like Dylan Storm Roof. They got all those people that own guns are crazy. White people will come into church and shoot you. Or bitter clingers. They're what? Bitter clingers. I don't understand. Oh, well, back... Oh, shoot. Uh, I think it was just after the election, President Obama. This was in 2008, 2009. He gave a speech somewhere, and the mic was still on, and he was waiting for his turn to come up and speak or something, and, and he said that um, the the problem with conservatives is that they're bitter. They're bitter, and they want to cling to their guns, God, and and something else. And it kind of became a rallying cry at the time that yes, we we are bitter, and we are going to cling to these things because this is what's important in life is you know guns, God, and we consider to be freedom. But those were the things that were derogatory for the president. The president it seems to be able to look at things through a very jaded view and not realize what our rights really are you know because we don't deserve any of these freedoms we have they were given to us by the government yeah in his ideas they were given to us well that's the problem with socialism is that you see society as being the ultimate grantor of everything where where society is just a creation of the individual and the individual is a creation of a creator and if you look at life in those perspectives then rights are inherent rights are fundamental rights are absolute if you look at it as society is created these things and everything is malleable everything can be shifted and everything can be changed and that leads to a philosophy which is you know antithetical to what real rights and real freedom must be right. you cannot have real rights and real freedom if you believe that rights are created by the consensus of the majority because and and that's where we are i mean that's where this country has moved to is because we start to see the supreme court saying well are these rights you know accepted by a majority and if they are then it's part of uh, of our natural constitutional rights but without it it's not anyway we'll be right back folks Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. So when, when we took the break, we were talking about, you know, the, the kind of the nature of rights. And it, it's, it's 9-11 has put this in really 
dramatic contrast because we see that people are willing to sacrifice freedom. They're willing to sacrifice what you know rights really are in the name of security. And then we have a society from the president on down that's starting to think of rights as being granted by society rather than being fundamental, inalienable, intrinsic rights. Well, see, now this conversation has steered us towards the, the second conversation we were wanting to have, and that is about... Um, there being a, a rash of, of break-ins, car break-ins locally. Yeah, and this um, is this has become an epidemic in, in Atlanta. In fact, I keep wanting to look out the window to make sure our car is okay in front of the studio because there's been something like a 1,000 car break-ins in the last 10 days in Atlanta. These are smashing grabs where people are, are breaking windows and then stealing whatever they can quickly out of a car and moving on. And this is happening all over Atlanta neighborhoods. In fact, there was one poor guy on the news who says he not only does he not have anything in his car, but he's had to replace three broken windows just in the last week at $200 a pop. Every time he gets a new window put in, they smash it again looking for something else to take out of his car. And so you think about what do you normally keep in your car all the time? And for some people, one of the things that they keep in their car all the time is... Is a firearm. Mm-hmm. And then there's other people who only keep the, a firearm in their car at certain times when they're not allowed to take their firearm into a location. So, of course, uh, the liberals' battle cry here is, leave your guns at home. We don't want somebody stealing your gun. Maybe maybe we can get our producer to queue up the next segment with Johnny Cash's leave your guns at home. Uh because I mean that's what that's what came to my mind is that there the the cry is just oh well you know it's your fault and this is there was a um, Fulton County Marshal who had his gun and I use gun in parentheses here quote air quotes because it wasn't really a gun but he had his gun stolen just a Glock no no it was actually not really a gun I'll I'll get to it in a second because it's strange. But he had his gun and, and belt stolen out of his personal vehicle. And this, now they're talking about, oh, this is horrible, horrible, horrible. What do you do? And he's in, quote, unquote, remedial training on what how to store his firearm when it's not on his person, which is something that we all need to think about is how do you store your firearm when it's not on your person? Well, the best answer is keep it on your person. And the reason I say it wasn't really a gun is because he was in training, so they didn't issue him an actual working gun. It was a weight that looks like was a gun. It was the orange gun? It was, rubber? It was, it, it was rubber. It was black. It was rubber. But it, it was <laughs> the same weight so that he could get used to carrying it. They're usually orange. Yeah. They usually are when you're doing like force on force training so you know that it's not a real gun. Whereas this is supposed to look like, feel like, and act like a real gun in every way except for it cannot possibly fire. So what's happened here is the, the idiot thief in the middle of the night in the dark... Stole. Couldn't tell the difference between that and gun because it right. felt like the gun. It felt like a gun, looks like a gun. Everything <laughs> jokes on him. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's not like that. There's now a Fulton County Marshal gun floating around out there, but still, there are guns being stolen all the time. In fact, uh, former president of GCO uh, Ed Stone had his gun stolen out of his truck, and you know why it was stolen out of his truck? Why? Because he was not allowed to carry it into the gun show that he was attending. So he was told to take it back out and lock it in his truck. So he locks it in his truck as directed by law enforcement, goes into the gun show. When he comes back out, the truck's smashed and the gun's gone. So my question is, why aren't you allowed to carry a firearm into a gun show? Because it's private property and the gun showed organizer doesn't want you to carry loaded guns in there. And the reason that came about was back in 2004 or 5 at, at one of the Eastman gun shows, a gentleman had 
brought in a gun for for sale that was loaded, and it ended up being going off when he was displaying it, and it killed a a, a minor child. So that got the the entire gun show community into this kind of rampant no loaded guns on premises because people are going to be you know pulling triggers and and checking them out. So they wanted to be very certain that that couldn't happen again. People are idiots. Why didn't the person messing with the gun make sure it was unloaded? Unloaded, yeah. I mean, there's there there's a lot of personal responsibility that, that should go around there, but instead we get a blanket ban on having the firearms. And it's private property, and, you know, that's one of the mantras here is that when it's private property, the private property owners get to make the decision, and you make a decision whether you want to, you know, frequent their business or not. But here, you know, we have other people who are going to be taking their weapons to places where they know they're not allowed to bring them in you know federal property um, courthouses all sorts of buildings like that and is the answer you don't get to bring it at all because you know you have to go to some place where they won't let you take it in thereby you know opening yourself up to whatever dangers to and from in transit or do you leave it locked in your car because you were forced not to bring it in and suffer the the possibility of having it stolen and if it is stolen out of your car who is to blame well, see, because of Georgia's laws being you can take it anywhere that there's not a metal detector, I'd say concealed means concealed. And I'm not going to urge anyone to do this because Georgia Carey's stance on this is obey the rules of the business you're going in, respect your business owner's rules. But my own personal feelings on it are the one time I leave that thing at home, my house might get broken into. <laughs> Yeah, the only or time you know where a gun is is when it's on your hip. The one time that I need it, I don't have it. And that's my biggest fear is the one time I need it, I may not have it because I had to leave it at home because I had to go to Curly's. And Curly don't allow you to bring guns in there. You well, know? you know, you go to a Waffle House and they say, take it out and put it in your car. And then your car gets broken into. The police show up and say, well, you shouldn't have put it in your car. I mean, you're kind of in a catch-22 here. If you're going to defend yourself, if you go to an establishment that you did not know was going to prohibit you, do you, do you go back in? And I think that that may be a, a better question is, do you go back in? Why would you go back in if they've asked you to leave? Time, I wouldn't. Time to leave. And I would find a business that would accept my business. And, in fact, I would probably send them a, a letter regarding their gun policy and citing this rash of burglaries and, and break-ins on people's vehicles is the reason why they're losing my business and the business of the entire gun community. Well, you know, this is something that we need to consider, and I think that's something that we should take a, a little heightened. I mean, this is something that a lot of people don't think about. We, you hear all the time people say, well, you know, I was asked to take my gun out to my car, so of course I complied. Well, is that really a wise choice? In, in a climate where automobile break-ins are up dramatically right now, and they're, they're looking for firearms, is that a wise choice to make in your, your life? Is this something you should be doing? Probably not. Now, this brings up the larger question about what about when you're forced to go someplace where that's a prohibited place? Not not out of your own choice, not out of your own volition, but what about when you're mandated to go somewhere? You have a jury summons. You have a, a speeding court, ticket, a speeding ticket, a court date. You have to go pay your taxes, and, and your board of commissioners live in fear that they have to screen you when you go into the tax assessor's office. You have to pay your um fees to get your car tags renewed mm -hmm. i mean you have to go into the courthouse for a lot of reasons that doesn't mean that you're 
the person carrying the gun is a criminal, they, they group us all together with the criminals. So what what do you think should happen if you have to go to a courthouse or a government building and you know you have to go there? Let's say that you know you're you're coming from East Point, Atlanta, and you know you have to go to the courthouse today. Do you not carry all day then because of it? Yeah, you know, I think at that um, security selection, uh, that that security checkpoint checkpoint that's the word I'm looking for. They should offer you a locking locker to put your gun in free of charge that you can get your gun out of as you leave? You know, that's what they do for law enforcement. Law enforcement locks theirs in a lockbox before they go into a courthouse. And when I was working in Rome, they offered that courtesy to me so that I could lock my gun there so that it wouldn't be in the vehicle. And I, I think, think that it should be available like that at the courthouse in any government building that you're not allowed to carry into for the public at any time free of charge. I think that that's a great idea. Those buildings belong to us anyway. And that would uh, you know, provide safe storage where you don't have to worry about your car getting broken into for people to steal your gun. It's like, you're worried about me bringing it in? Well, give me one of those lockers like they have at the amusement park. Like they have at every courthouse already. Every courthouse has these for law enforcement. When they have a little key that goes around your wrist and you go in and do your business, then you use the key to open your locker, you leave the key behind and you get your firearm back and put it where it goes. Yeah, I, I think that that is a brilliant solution. And maybe something that if is not going to happen on our own, that you know the, the individual sheriff's departments that regulate these checkpoints, maybe it's something that we should bring up in the upcoming legislative session to have so that it's mandated that if you're going to prohibit the the bringing of a firearm into your your screened area that you provide a safe lockup for it so that people don't have to leave it in their car right because i think this has highlighted a real problem in atlanta and then you know the, of course the anti-gunners are going to turn around and say look you know firearms are stolen and used in crimes and it's we need to you know prohibit the carrying of firearms well the truth is is we just need to have you want to talk about common sense gun laws Here's something that's absolutely common sense. If you won't let me take it, you take responsibility for it till I can take it back again. Right. So, I, I mean, I think that this is really one of those kind of interesting things that pops up. And it wasn't something that I had planned to talk about. But when I saw multiple news stories about firearms being stolen out of cars and the, just the rash of car break-ins here in downtown Atlanta over the last 10 days, it's really shocking. I mean, it's really an epidemic crime problem that nothing is being done about. And it's one of those things that you really can't get to with police because it's so quick that it happens. I, I wish that we had a, a better solution on what people can do. But, folks, we're coming up on a commercial break, so we'll be right back. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. When we took the break, we were talking about you know some of the things that are really common sense when we talk about common sense gun laws like maybe requiring if you have to leave your gun behind that they provide safe storage for it where you're going into and i think that that's something that's very common sense prevent some of these break-ins that happen in parking lots and how guns are being stolen from law-abiding citizens without depriving them of the right to protect themselves as they go to and fro about their day when they're mandated to go to a government installation and you know these are the sorts of things that georgiacarry.org works on all the time and, and tries to make our lives a little better 
better. And if you want to get involved, if you want to really, you know, make a difference in the laws in Georgia and, and to protect your rights as a someone who is carrying a firearm on a daily basis or just trying to protect your family when the need arises, then you really need to become a member of GeorgiaCarry.org. And, and the best way to become a member is simply to go to www.GeorgiaCarry.org and in the top left-hand corner, click Join Now. And for there, for $20 a year, you can become a member of the most powerful lobbying group in Georgia that works on gun rights and, and individual freedom. And here you can will get uh, newsletters that come out not all the time but periodically that will have upcoming legislation, upcoming lawsuits, ways that you can get involved, know what bills are important, which ones are, are likely to pass, which ones have bad language in them and need to be changed, and who to contact about that. You'll get talking points to be able to reach out to your representatives. You'll know when to call the governor's office and know when to bring your pressure to bear because as the largest gun rights lobbying group in Georgia, GeorgiaCarry.org is able to change the course of the legislature and has done so over many occasions over the past few years as we see things like House Bill 89 or, or all of the other legislation that Georgia Carry has, has helped enact so that you can carry your gun into a restaurant or that you don't have to worry about where a public gathering is. So this is a great way to get involved, to get active, and be able to reach out and know what's going on. If you um, are looking for something a little more interactive and personal, Go to a chapter meeting. GeorgiaCarry.org is getting chapter meetings all across Georgia. Valdosta, Macon, North Georgia, two in Atlanta. We're going to see some more popping up, hopefully in Augusta and Savannah soon. And then that'll give you an opportunity to meet up with some fellow GeorgiaCarry.org members. I know that some of the meetings here in, in North Georgia have been at, at local restaurants. There was a fantastic one just a while back in, in Valdosta where they met at a, a wonderful steakhouse and had a talk on NFA firearms. And that's a very common topic. People like to hear about how to get the trust. And, of course, you know, if you're looking for one, you can always contact me at Doug at KingsLawOffice.net. But the, these are great opportunities for people to get to know each other, to have a little bit of time of fellowship and good food, and meet a board member. Because at all of these chapter meetings, there's been a board member who showed up to talk a little bit about the agenda, what's going on, what's coming up. And it's a great way to just have a little bit of time with other people who are like-minded. Also, you can sign up to just about every gun show and most of the local fairs and festivals. I know we're coming into fall now. We're getting September 11th behind us, and we're looking forward to, you know, all of the activities of a fall calendar that are coming up for people. You know, you've got fairs and festivals. I know Zombie Fest up in Canton's coming. There's Walker Stalker Con that's coming up. We just finished up with the big Dragon Con convention. These are all sorts of things that people are getting out and doing, and many or most of them you're going to find at GeorgiaCarry.org booth with volunteers who are manning it on a daily basis, trying to get more people signed up so that they can do good work across the state of Georgia. And, you know, if if you have any questions or comments, you can feel free to reach out to us at radio at georgiacarry.org, or you can reach out to, again, me personally at doug at kingslawoffice.net, and we'll try to get your comments or questions on the air. If you have show topic ideas, or if you're listening to us online, feel free to reach out to the local station manager and let us know which stations that you listen to. And we can follow up with that station manager to get georgiacarry.org radio on the air in your area. So, you know, we're we're coming up to the end of the show, Jesse, and and I know that you know we've been really struggling with the the September 11th stuff this week, and and how it's impacted both of us and on our our kids' lives, and that's something that has kind of come out to me is I keep seeing all these things on Facebook that say remember, never forget, remember, 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 and yet we have a whole generation sitting around, especially. In our family, who have no idea, have can't remember. It's it's ancient it was history. Before them, yeah, and they go, "Wow, that happened 
that that happened a long time ago, didn't it? And it's like, no, not really. As as your life goes, it wasn't really that long ago. You know, just it, before it was, you. There, there's well, Rush Limbaugh always says that history is whatever happened before you were born, mm-hmm. and I think that that's very true. And for most of these kids, September 11th and you know the last ice age are pretty well contemporaneous. Well, you know, the Civil War was contemporaneous with me with the ice age until. Just a few years recently, I've realized how close it was really to us. Well, when you see, like, the documentaries and you see FDR congratulating Civil War veterans in person, you realize right. they were still alive at World War II. And then now we just, I think we lost, I, I could be wrong, but I think we lost our last surviving World War One veteran in this country just recently. We did. And so, I mean, we're, we're starting to see history fade into, you know, history becomes myth, myth becomes legend. And that's kind of what's happening with a lot of this is that we're 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 fading into myth and legend about what happened and and this kind of like popular myth about Especially what it when was. It happens to be the Civil War for some reason. People like to rewrite what really happened. There is a lot of mythology about the Civil War, and I'm afraid there's a lot of mythology about the global war on terror too. Uh, probably. And we're, we don't have quite the perspective, the distance of history, but the Civil War, even with the 150 years, and we're at the 150-year mark for the Civil War, watching things click by, and we're coming up on, on the surrender date soon uh, from the Civil War. And I'm, I'm looking at all this and thinking, you know, with all this time that's passed, we still have these sharply divided lines of what is and what had happened and what it meant at the time. And, you know, some people say that it was a war about states' rights, and other people say it was a war about slavery, and other people say it was a war about fundamental flaws in the the structure of a divided government. And we still don't have any kind of real answers 150 years later. What's the consensus of history going to be on the way that we pursued global policy following 9-11? What's the consensus of history going to be on the way that we uh, stood up for individual rights? In a time when we stand up for the rights of individuals to be able to marry whoever they choose, and yet we deprive people of the right to carry their firearm wherever they wish. We, we, we look at rights as, as being granted by a society and not, by a, 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 not as God-given rights by a creator, that the way the frame and founders of this country imagined and intended it to be. And rights have become so fluid that they, they have lost meaning for us. Well, the founders of this country would be rolling over in their graves if they knew some of the things that we consider important now and rights now that really aren't. We, we have moved so far afield into trying to find reasons and enact legislation through a few. And I think that that really is a shame. I don't think that the the judiciary was ever intended to enact legislation the way that it has, to force compliance by states or to completely change societal values. You know, I'm, I'm going to get a little political here for a second. You know the lady Kim Davis? I've heard of her. That she was the Georgia, not Georgia, Kentucky, Kentucky. Um, clerk that got locked up for not doing marriage licenses at all it's not that she wasn't doing marriage licenses for a group of people she just decided if she couldn't do marriage licenses for everybody then she was just going to do them for nobody and everybody could go somewhere else and get a marriage license and the supreme court had her thrown in jail well the district court federal district court had her had her held in contempt and jailed for what like five days yeah she was in for five days and I just I think that we have a government now that's too large 
and overstepping its boundaries because that should have been left up to her state to handle that. It was a state issue. Marriage licenses have never been a federal issue. No, not ever. It is completely a police power sort of thing that's always been invested in an individual state. It was a state's issue, and then the federal government should have stayed out of that issue with her, but it did not. Well, when you have a minority group that uh, that says I have a right, then it has to be applied across the board, and that's that's the problem with with emerging rights. Is when you start to recognize things, you're forcing the majority to give up their position, and you can do it by because you say that the minority right trumps the majority will. But at what point does minority rights become just a minority legislation? We've been often warned about the tyranny of the majority, but what about the tyranny of the minority? Well, there's some tyranny in the minority. If you really give them a chance to have some power, they'll they'll tear things up. And this is a comment that I had made earlier in the week that I think really resonates. You know, the problem here is that when when they cried out for freedom and said, "Give us freedom, we're oppressed." The moment that they are given that freedom and and the oppression is is lifted, they use the freedom to in turn oppress other people who believe differently. And when freedom is nothing but a tool of oppression by whatever group, then it is no longer freedom at all, but it is it is the most debased evil that we can conjure up in our society. Yeah. Well, I've enjoyed the topics this week. I hope that everyone listening has too. So feel free to you know shoot us an email or, or call up at Georgia Carey and let us know what things you would like to hear about. We've got more topics on the way. I'm hoping to get some more special guests in soon, folks, and, and have some topics on things that are shooting-related or, or more on the upcoming legislative agenda for next year that's, that's being plotted even as we speak. So this has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio. Tune in next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. This has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8 on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.